0: Everyone loves to hear about somebody who's been in the rags and has gone from rags to riches. Someone who started out low on the totem pole and worked his way up and just something happened, and there he is successful. Joseph is the ultimate from rags to riches story. And as we've read over and over again, it was the hand of God that was upon him. He went from adversity to prosperity, something that many people cannot handle. You know, have you ever thought, what would you do if you won a million dollars if Ed McMahon arrived at your doorstep in that limousine and said, oh, hey, you just won a million dollars. You know, and you think, okay, I know how I'll spend it. Have you ever asked your friends that question, get in a group? How would you spend it? Well, I give this away and I give that away. You just may be surprised how you'd handle it. I read about a guy who won the Michigan lottery. He didn't handle it very well. Uh, He worked at a normal job, and he got this money, and people came around him, people he didn't know before, and his friends became friendlier, and his family became nicer, and he gave it to them, and the ones that he didn't give it to hated him, and he got married, but ended up that the woman didn't marry him for him, but for his money, and she took his money and divorced him, and married again, this time he thought it was real love, it wasn't real love, they divorced, and he ended up miserable. And psychologically in the dumps. And at the end of that he said, I wish I never would have taken that money. He said, it just changed my whole perspective. Not only my friend's and my wife's perspective, but it changed my perspective and the way I look at things. Not many people can handle a full cup. Now I've met a few people who can. There are some people that I have watched God seem to just single out and give them so much prosperity, even financial prosperity, millions and millions of dollars at their disposal. Christian people. What's great about that is the ones that I see God bless financially are the ones that God knows he can trust that much too. And they're very open and very giving with their money. They become channels For God to use. And often, accompanied with that financial prosperity is a spiritual gift known as the gift of giving. They graciously give. They do it very simply. They see a need, they're there to give it. And I've been blessed to come into contact and watch people like that bless others. It's just awesome. Others wonder, man, how come God didn't bless me that way? Well, maybe God knows what it'll do to you and what the real heart of that person is, and He knows what you can handle. And God loves you too much to ruin you by giving you that much money. Aren't you glad God loves you that much? (laughs) Joseph was a man of integrity. And prosperity will test your integrity. Just what do you do with the resources that God has given to you? Joseph all of a sudden finds himself blessed with this incredible checkbook of the Egyptian government. He becomes second in command. It all started with a dream. Pharaoh has a dream. He dreamt that these cattle came up out of the Nile River. They were fat. And seven more skinny, ugly cows came up and ate the fat ones, and they were still skinny. And he had, this, he, he had the dream twice, one dealing with grain and the other dealing with livestock. It troubled him. The wise guys in his court could not interpret the dream and so Joseph is called. And it's a beautiful illustration of Proverbs 21, 1. The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord and like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. And all of a sudden, this prisoner is standing before the most powerful man on earth, the Egyptian Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh says, hey, I hear that you're a great interpreter of dreams. And he says, it's not within me, O king only god gives interpretations and in a beautiful moment joseph interprets the dream of pharaoh in chapter 30 or chapter 41 and in verse 38 to recap pharaoh said to his servants can we find such a one as this man in whom is the spirit of god verse 40 you shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. Now, Joseph's life is the classic illustration of a scripture probably that's one of your favorite scriptures, Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. You know that, Right? Joseph knew it. He knew it. And we know that all things. R.A. Torrey said that scripture is a soft pillow for a tired heart. All things. All things. That's a hard one to swallow. I believe it. And oftentimes that's the only thing I have to hold on to. But I admit to you, it would be a lot easier to believe if it said, and we know that some things work together for good to those that love God. But all things, suffering, heartache, disease, famine, nakedness, peril, sort, all things, all things. All things, he said, work together. That's something Joseph is finding out. By the way, the word in Greek in Romans 8.28 is the word synergism in our language. It means the working together of various elements to produce a result greater than the sum Of those elements. Now that's a mouthful. The working together of various elements to produce a result greater than the sum of those elements. Even if those elements are in and of themselves bad, God somehow synergizes, works them together, and the result is that it's greater than the sum of the elements. Great illustration from chemistry. Sodium and chlorine are poisons. Put them together and they're sodium chloride. That's salt and it's good. The result is greater than the elements themselves. God just has that way of combining the elements of your life and making sure that your good is the result of Him putting those elements together. Now, it's not fun while you're going through it. If you would have said, Hey, Joseph, how's the the prison? Are you having fun yet? Are you kidding, man? This is a drag. I've trusted God from my youth. And what happens to me? I get sold to the Ishmaelites. I get taken to Egypt. I work for Potiphar. His wife accuses me of rape. I get thrown in the jail. The guy forgets about me for two years. I just sit and I rot here. But now there's a new start. Chapter 41, all of a sudden, things are totally different. He's not a prisoner anymore. He's in the palace. From adversity to prosperity. Joseph finds something that's really neat. That is that God has a purpose for his life. God God had a purpose in prison. God had a purpose in being sold to the Ishmaelites. God had a purpose for the years that I spent in that prison working with those other people. God was training me. That was my education. Hey, that's the best school. The best degree is the BSD degree. Backside of the desert. That's where God isolates you, takes you to some wilderness area, whether physically or spiritually, it's dry. You don't hear from him. It's tough. It's a wilderness. You cry out to God, he doesn't seem to answer the way you want to. But all of a sudden, the other end is the result that God has been training you all along. And you've been learning to trust. You've been learning to hang on without seeing it. We don't live by sight, Paul said. We live by faith. That's a hard one to learn. But now the purpose is emerging in Joseph's life. What was the purpose? To save people from a worldwide famine, number one. To bring the children of Israel down to Egypt, number two. And number three, in the preservation of the children of Israel, to produce the lineage of the Messiah and the Savior of the world. Talk about purpose. Now God has a purpose for your life. With all of the things you're going through, if you tenaciously hold to Him, that purpose will be revealed. Oh, but God, I don't see it. I feel trapped. I'm in a prison. Tonight, in your prison, can you rejoice in the Lord? And can you walk out of here saying, I know that God is causing all things to work together for my good and for His glory. When you've reached that point, you've reached the point of faith. The failure to believe that Will make you frustrated and bitter. God knows we met a lot of Christians who were that way. Angry at God because God didn't follow their agenda. God, I'm gonna take my football and go home now. I gave you plenty of chance to fulfill my dreams and my wishes. <laughs> I met a lot of people like that. Why is this happening? I don't know why it's happening. Don't ask me. But God knows. Can you grab a hold of God? Say, God, I don't know, but you know. That's good enough for me. Job said, I look back. I try to find God. I can't find him. I go forward. He's not there. But he knows the way that I take. And when this whole thing is over, Job said, I will come forth as gold. God knows where. I don't know where I'm going. He knows where I'm going. That's good enough for me. And all I know is that the end result that I will come forth as gold. That's why Job dared to utter in the midst of his suffering, though he slay me, I will trust him. That's faith. What is your limit in trusting God? I will trust God as long as I don't get a disease. Then I'll trust him and he's my everything. I will trust God as long as this relationship holds together. How about, though he kill me, yet... I will trust him. That's Job's faith. He didn't learn that by reading a book. He learned that by the trials of life. Joseph is learning that from pit to pinnacle. And he's the prime minister now of Egypt. Uh, I wanted to pick up where really uh, we stopped around verse 50. I wanted to go back a few verses. I already have, obviously. But to the beginning of his family life in verse 45... And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paenah which means the revealer of secret things. I can just see Joseph running around Egypt. Hey, I know my name is uh, zaphnath paenah but just call me Joe. My friends call me Joe. And he gave him as a wife Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On. And so Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. Now... It's kind of interesting that his wife is an Egyptian whose father is a pagan priest. Joseph, a man of God, marrying this gal. But don't jump to conclusions and think that he married an unbeliever because there's obviously something different about this woman. Number one, she is his only wife. Something that is quite strange in the ancient Egyptian culture. There were two or three or four or more She was his only wife during his lifetime. Secondly, the children are named Hebrew names, not Egyptian names. So it seems like whatever was her background, it didn't have the pull in the family. It was a godly family. Joseph was obviously the head of this family. And the names of the children reflect the experiences that Joseph has gone through. Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. Talk about radical changes in a fellow's life. Prisoner before Pharaoh, second in command, prime minister, gets a wife, has a couple kids, two camel garage, the whole bit. It's so Radical changes. I remember the radical changes I went through when I married my wife, Lenya May. Then I was so excited, you know, and at the same time scared. The day of our wedding, it was a hot Southern California day and I knew that three days later, I would be leaving all that I knew and be moving to New Mexico. And it was exciting, the adventure, but think of all the changes, going from single to being married, from living in one place all my life, Southern California, moving to a new state, leaving one job, going to a new job, leaving an entire set of friends and family, going to no one that I know all in one week. It was like (laughs) blow a fuse. I can relate to those radical changes. But God blessed. As he did with Joseph, now in the seven plentiful years, the ground brought forth abundantly. So he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid the food in the cities and he laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he stopped counting for it was without number. And Joseph bore two sons before the years of famine whom Asenath, the daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On, bore to him. Now, I'd like you to notice something very beautiful in how he names his kids. He had a new start, but he also has a new perspective as seen in the names given to his children. You know, names in the ancient culture were something that were very significant. There was an attachment of a character that was hoped for by the parents to the child. Or, if something happened at the birth... Oftentimes, something, whatever happened at the birth was reflected in the name of the child. But usually it was an aspiration, a dream, a hope that mom and dad had for the kids. They would name their children after that. Joseph names his kids two names that speak of the way he views life. You want to understand how Joseph sees what has happened to him? Look at how he names his kids. You know, perspective is everything. You could get two different people to report on the same incident, and you will get two different stories completely. That's why Solomon said, "A fool answers a matter before he hears it." Uh, That's evidenced by marriage counseling. You get the gal in there, and she's upset at her husband. You don't know what a brute he is to live with, and she'll tell the horror story. Get him in, you have a whole different story. Oh, yeah. Well, talk about a nag. Whoa! I tell you, it's been tough. Two entirely different stories. you got to balance them both out and really get to the nuts and bolts, the honesty, the real problem. Perspective is everything. I heard about a young college student who wrote to her parents and in the letter, you can imagine what the parents would think. Dear Mom and Dad, miss you. I'm still here at college. However, I have dropped out of several of my classes. I have failed a couple of them this last semester. I found a guy that I think I'm in love with, we've moved in together, and I think I'm pregnant. And then there was a little note at the bottom, please turn over. She turned over and said, Dear Mom and Dad, please disregard absolutely everything I just wrote. None of it is true. However, I could use a little extra cash at college, things are a little slim. You know what her parents did when they read the back of that letter? Heavy sigh. What an intriguing way to ask her parents for money. Get them to see things in an entirely different perspective. The first part of the letter is, no! The second part of it is, sure, you can have the money. That's good news compared to the first side. right? Perspective is absolutely everything. Now let's listen to Joseph's perspective after all that he's been through. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh. It comes from two Hebrew words. Asseh means to make. Manasseh means to make forgetful. And he says, For God has made me to forget all of my toil and all my father's house. Another translation, God has made me forget all of the suffering that I have endured from my background. You get his perspective? All that I've gone through, all of the pain of being sold as a slave, all of the pain of being falsely accused and being a prisoner and being forgotten, God's made me forget it all. All of the things that I could be bitter for, God made me forget. That's his perspective. That's how he looks back. Now, did he really forget those things? No. If you look at it, really technically, he remembered the incident. In fact, it's important to remember those things as fuel for the future. The idea, in fact, Webster defines to forget as to disregard or place of lower importance. In other words, he did not hold on to the emotional pain that accompanied those things. Hey, it's water under the bridge, Joseph said. And I'm calling my son to make forgetful, for God has made me forget all of the tragedy from my background. He wasn't bitter, he wasn't fearful, he wasn't angry. And imagine all of that without therapy. God did it. God did it. Don't underestimate the power of God. I know a lot of counselors do. Oh, you Christians are so naive. But we have the answers for life. You need to be trained in the Freudian school of psychology. And let's give you some primal therapy. This is really... I mean, the Bible, you can only go so far with that. I pity the Christian who thinks that way. The power of God. God did this. In the epistle to the Philippians, in chapter 3... Paul the Apostle said, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, I reach forward to those things which are before, and I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Don't hold on to those things of the past. Don't let your past, no matter how difficult it has been, and I do want to sympathize or empathize with those who have had difficult backgrounds. I don't want to brush it aside or underestimate it. You are in touch with the pain of whatever you've gone through. Your family, your background as a child, under your parents. Maybe you had a rotten spouse. One I don't know. But I know this God can make you to a place where you forget the bitterness and that emotional pain and you go on. You reach forward, don't live in the past. Don't live in the past. Just use it as a a springboard, not as a weight. God can do that. God made me forget all of the bitterness of the past, all of my toil. Let go. You might want to say, look back, but then let go, and then let's go. Look back, let it go, then let's go. Let's get involved. Let's go forward. Let's get involved in God's work. God has a kingdom to build, and he's got a plan for you, and he wants to make your life into something awesome. Let him. Let's move on with it. The name of the second he called Ephraim, which means fruitful. For he said, God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. What's he speaking about? Well, either the fact that he was fruitful in that he has a wife and two kids, or he's fruitful in the fact that God raised him up to a high position of prime minister, and in a sense, he's the savior physically over the land of Egypt. Beautiful. He got involved. He was in Egypt, but God raised him up, and he got involved with a plan. His wheels were turning, man. To save the, the country. God gave him, but he got involved. The best way to use your life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. For eternal reasons. Joseph did. The famine was all over the face of the earth. Verse 56. Well, listen skipped a few verses, the seven years of plenty which were in the land of Egypt ended, the seven years of famine began to come. As Joseph had said, the famine was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And so when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to the Egyptians, go to Joseph. I hired this guy for this, it's his problem. Whatever he says to you, do it. The famine was over all the face of the earth. Now, that's from the perspective of Moses over the known world at that time. It was in bad shape. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians. And the famine became severe in the land of Egypt. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the lands. By the way, before we move on to the next chapter... Again, how Joseph named his kids Ephraim and Manasseh. The way God brought healing to Joseph was by using the relationships in his life, using other people. His wife and kids gave him a new perspective. You know, when I had Nathan, I got a new perspective. The first thing I did, the first week my son was born, is call up my mother and father and profusely thank them for taking care of me. Because all of a sudden I realized how dependent I was for so many years on them. And I didn't realize that. You know, there was a time when I couldn't wait to get out of the house. I didn't realize how much they cared for me, how much they loved me, but I got a new perspective. That son taught me to appreciate my parents. Gave me a whole new perspective. Every relationship you have has the potential to bring healing in areas where you've been hurt. You don't have to let that happen. You can exacerbate the problem by becoming bitter and treating things wrong and sinfully, but you can let it heal. All right. When Jacob saw, now we're back to Jacob, Joseph's dad. We're back down in the land of Canaan. Joseph has been lifted up. Let's see how the bros are doing and his dad. Jacob saw that there was grain in Egypt. Jacob said to his sons, Why do you just sit there and look at each other? (laughs) What are you kids doing, man? You're sitting there looking at each other. There's food in Egypt. Now, you might want to title this chapter, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Because Joseph is going to have some very interesting dinner guests. His brothers, he hasn't seen in 20 years, are going to show up. Times have changed. They will not recognize him, but he will recognize them. Now, thanks to Joseph's operation storehouse, they hear there's food in Egypt. They're down in Canaan. And the famine has hit Canaan pretty hard. And so Jacob says, hey, kids, let's do something. He said, indeed, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt... Go down to that place and buy for us there that we may live and not die. Now, there's a beautiful illustration of faith. I have heard. Therefore, let's go. He could have said, I've heard, so I'll just sit here and maybe somebody will confirm that for me. No, I will act on what I have heard. Oh, but faith comes by seeing, right? No. That's what they say in Missouri, right? The show me state. Scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You hear it. You hear a promise, you act on it. And your faith is built up. He believed what he heard. He believed that if they went, they would have life. Bread would be given to them. Beautiful illustration of faith. So Joseph's 10 brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt. Now. This story will unfold if we get through chapter 41 tonight. Actually, chapters 41 all the way through 45 is a beautiful story of forgiveness. Where his brothers are tested, they come to repentance, and Joseph, like the Savior, graciously reaches out to forgive them. I've got to say that forgiveness separates the men from the boys spiritually. Hey, it's easy to love people who are nice to you. Oh, what a sweet guy. Always tells me I'm cool. Really like that guy. <laughs> what about somebody who oppresses you? Who's opposed to you? Who doesn't like you? Who's hurt you? Remember what Jesus said? Anybody can love those who love them. The world is that. Love your enemies. That was radical. That was revolutionary. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you and spitefully use you. That's impossible outside of the help of God. It's natural to be bitter, it's supernatural to forgive. That separates the men from the boys. And the ultimate test of forgiveness is when you face off with the person who's hurt you. You're looking at him, eyeball to eyeball. How you act and respond when they are in your presence is the ultimate test of have you forgiven them? Joseph will see them, and he will weep, not for himself, but out of a heart of love. Now there's three meetings. In these chapters, and we'll speak about that more next week as we get to them all, but there's three meetings that Joseph has with his brothers. That is, they come from Canaan to Egypt three separate occasions, and each time there's a separate test that Joseph has for them, just to see how much they've changed. Okay. Jacob, verse four, did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, Lest some calamity befall him. Now, we're getting back into the dynamics of this family. Joseph was the favored son. His brothers knew it. His brothers hated him for it. His brothers sold him into Egypt. Favored boy number two is Benji. Joe and Benji were born from Rachel. Rachel was really the woman that Jacob loved. Though he had four wives... He only wanted Rachel. It was love at first sight. He knew it from the beginning. Laban, his uncle, pulled a switcheroo on him, tricked him, and he got uh, Leah, her older sister, and then with them handmaidens, uh, Bilhah and Zilpah. And and so there's 12 kids that came out of this. But the girl that he loved was Rachel. The two kids that came from this union were Joseph and Benji. So he didn't want Benjamin to go. And the kids grew up, the older brothers grew up with that animosity toward Joseph and Benjamin. And so it's going to prove to be an interesting test. So he said, hey, I don't want anything to happen to Benjamin. You, you kids go. If something happens to you, whatever. But not Benjamin. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was governor over all the land, and it was he who sold all the people of the land or to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Can you imagine what's going through Joseph's mind? As his brothers come, he recognizes them, and they bow down. What came to his mind? Two dreams. Remember the dreams? Comes up to his brother when he was 17, and goes, hey guys, I just had a dream. I dreamed that we were out in the field binding sheaves, and my sheaves stood up straight, and all of your sheaves came and bowed down to the ground. And they said, whoa, walking on thin ice, dude. You think we're going to bow down to you, you little squirt? Came back with another dream. because hey, I had another dream. This time, the 11 stars, the sun and the moon, all bowed down to my star. This time, Jacob got angry. He says, what do you think? Me and your mother and your brothers are going to bow down to the earth? Got angry, rebuked him. But Jacob kept these things in his mind. They're going to surface pretty soon when Jacob himself comes to bow himself before his son. He hadn't seen these characters for 20 years. They hadn't changed all that much. I mean, they were already mature 20 years ago, but remember, 20 years ago Joseph was 17. Now he's 37. He's dressed as an Egyptian. He speaks fluent Egyptian. Probably he wore one of those fake Egyptian goatees that we spoke about last week. The Egyptians were clean-shaven, but a people of notoriety would get these painted goatees made out of horsehair, and they were real lacquered and stiff and they would they'd put them on. So they looked at Joseph, they didn't, maybe he had a few resemblances. they didn't recognize him, they thought he was dead. Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them but he acted as a stranger and he spoke roughly to them and he said where do you come from? They said, from the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. Now why did he speak so roughly? Because he's testing them. He remembers 20 years ago their attitude, their jealousy, their hostility. So he's going to be rough with them. He's going to be angry with them and just see how they react. To see what the response will be. So he acts roughly. Joseph remembered the dreams that she had dreamed about them. And he said to them, You're spies. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. They said, No, my lord. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are honest men. Oh, eat your words. (laughs) They're the characters that said, Hey, dad, you know, uh, your son Joseph was eaten by a wild beast. We don't know what happened to it. Hey, here's his robe. Got blood all over it. Sorry this happened. Liars. They sold them to the Ishmaelites. He goes, well, listen, uh, there's a famine. In. We're honest men. Now, Joseph's probably cracking a little bit of smile at this. Yeah, right. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, no, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said, your servants are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. In fact, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. Who's that? Joseph, oh, they were wrong. One still is. He that speaketh to thee am he. <laughs> All right? We've one other guy, but he's not alive any longer. They're talking to him. Now, at this point, Joseph is leading them along. He's doing this on purpose to awaken their consciousness, to awaken their guilt, to go back to the story. You're spies. No, we're not, you're spies. Tell me about yourselves he's going to probe a little bit deeper to open up that wound that they have closed for so long. Joseph said, it's just like I told you, you are spies. In this manner you shall be tested. By the life of Pharaoh, you shall not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. He wanted to see his brother. You can understand. These characters are just his half-brothers. Jacob is his full brother. Same mom, same dad. They were very close. Send one of you and let him bring your brother and you shall be kept in prison that your words may be tested to see whether there is any truth in you or else by the life of Pharaoh, surely you are spies. And he put them all in the prison for three days. At that point, while they were in jail, they had a lot of time to think and to talk amongst one another. Listen to what they came out with. Joseph said to them the third day, Do this and live, for I fear God. Light bulb should have gone off with that one. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers be confined to your prison house, but you go and carry grain for the famine of your houses, and bring your youngest brother to me, so your words will be verified, and you shall not die. And they did so. Then they said to one another, We are truly guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us, and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered, saying, Didn't I tell you, or didn't I speak to you, saying, Don't sin against the boy? And you would not listen. Therefore, behold, his blood is now required of us. Hey, you dragged me into this, and I told you so. What they don't understand is as they're talking to one another, Joseph can understand perfect the Hebrew language that they're speaking. He speaks Egyptian, and he's using an interpreter in this whole thing, but he's listening to He understands everything. The test is working. They're going back to the time they sold Joseph into Egypt. They're remorseful now because of it. However, they're still a little bit selfish. They go, oh, look, it. it happened to us. This distress has come upon us. They're not sorry about Joseph. They're mostly sorry about themselves, and so a little more testing is now required. They're still just a little bit selfish. No, um, but they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. Now, there's a good principle here. Your sin will find you out. Twenty years they got by with this thing. Twenty years. And they thought, we're, we're off the hook. Hey, if there's a God in heaven, he hadn't done anything for Twenty years. We've gotten by with it. It's always a mistake if you think that you can sin against God and then try to cover it up. Oh, hey, you might be successful for a while, but your sin will find you out. You will reap what you sow. That's a scriptural principle. And the fruit of that can be devastating. Proverbs tells us, Whoever covers his sin will not prosper. But whoever confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. They're about to confess it and forsake it. And the wound that has been there for so long in their own hearts will be healed, as Joseph will forgive them in the next few chapters. Verse 24, he turned himself away. Joseph turned himself away from them and he wept. And he returned to them again and talked with them. And he took Simeon from them and bound him before their eyes. Oh, again, they're remembering the time they did that to Joseph. But here Joseph is weeping. What a sensitive guy. What a sensitive character he was. He wanted to throw his arms around him. But he restrained himself. So Joseph gave a command to fill their sacks with grain to restore every man's money to his sack and to give them provisions for the journey. Thus he did for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain, departed from there, but as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey feed at the encampment, he saw his money. There it was in the mouth of the sack. So his, he said to his brothers, My money has been restored. There it is in my sack. And their hearts failed them, and they were afraid, saying to one another, What is, what is this that God has done to us? Now, you've got to just look at that. Ordinarily, a person would be pretty excited about this. Under normal circumstance, they go, check it out. Not only do I have grain, but somebody put money in it. This is awesome. What if you went to the supermarket, the grocery store? you got two huge baskets full of food. You wheel it out, to so you think, oh, man, 200 bucks. I can't believe it. Oh, it's everything I have. Oh, man, i got to have it. Hey, it's great. i got food at least. You pay it. Pay the guy cash. Go home to find that the grocer put the money back in your wallet. Would you say, God, why have you done this to me? What'd I do? But you see, guilt, guilt can turn joy into disillusion, into misery. A guilt complex can just ruin a person's outlook. Everything he sees, oh, no, because he knows that he's done wrong. It's unconfessed sin, and that produces guilt. And guilt needs to be handled correctly. And if you don't handle guilt correctly, you can end up very depressive. Now they're blaming God. God, why have you done this to us? You've blessed us. And they went to Jacob, their father, in the land of Canaan and told him all the things that happened. Now, evidently they think, look, the money's back in the sack. We can be accused of stealing it because we didn't pay for it. And there it is. Verse 30, The man who is Lord of the land spoke roughly to us and took us for spies of the country. But we said to him, We're honest men, we're not spies. We are twelve brothers, sons of our father. One is no more, the youngest is with his father, this day in the land of Canaan. Then the man, the lord of the country, said to us, By this I will know that you're honest men. Leave one of your brothers here, take food. And he recounts the whole story. So he tells them what happened on the way back. Verse 36, Jacob their father said to them, You have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And you want to take Benjamin away. All things are against me. So he tells them, uh, they tell dad the story. You know, listen, Simeon's back in jail. Got to bail him out. Okay, great, bail him out. Well, the only way we have to do it is take Benji back. See, this guy wants to see your youngest son. Jacob is still Jacob. He's so worried about himself. I can't believe what you kids have done to me. You've taken away Joseph, and now you want to take away Benji. He says, all things are against me. Now, would Joseph have said that? Nope. Even if it seemed like all things, and it, hey, let's face it, things were against Joseph, it looked like at one point. If Jacob would have been sold to the Ishmaelites, he would have said, all things are against me. If Jacob would have gone into prison after a so-called rape incident, he would have said, all things are against me. If Jacob would have spent two years rotting in jail, he would have said, all things are against me. But when it happens to Joseph, Joseph can say, all things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to his purpose. That's basically his summation at the end of his life. His perspective is different. Some of you, when something happens, you think, I can't believe all this stuff happened to me. All things are against me. God doesn't love me. Or you can say, I don't understand this. What a drag. I can't. I mean, one thing after another. But God knows all things work together. I'm trusting Him. Philippians chapter 1. The sixth verse, Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will continue to perform it until the day of Christ. What a glorious promise. God started something in your life. And you know what? God has no unfinished projects. God forgot about me. He's working with everybody else and blessing them. He just kind of forgot about me. No way. God doesn't start something and go, I'll forget it. Too difficult. Uh, I mean, that character, just shelf them. Now, you can harden your heart to the extent where it becomes impossible for you to experience the love of God. But you have to diligently want that. God's begun something in your life, and he's not finished with you yet. He'll continue to perform it until Jesus comes again. And Reuben spoke to his father, saying, Kill my two sons if I don't bring them back to you. Put him in my hands, and I will bring him back to you. But he said, My son shall not go down with you, for his brother is dead. And he's left alone. If any calamity should befall him along the way in which you go, then you would bring my gray hair with sorrow to the grave. Chapter 43 will have to be left till next week. It's probably one of the most dramatic chapters in the entire book of Genesis. It's very moving as Joseph and Benjamin after 20 years meet in lock eyes. It's very tender. And we have to underscore something that were it not for a severe famine, this whole thing would never have happened. God allowed this famine to occur. It was in his divine, providential, sovereign plan. And if this famine wouldn't have persisted, Simeon would have been rotten in jail. But because the famine got worse, hey, we need food. Take Benjamin. Go for it. I mean, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. Which causes this meeting, which causes the recognition, the forgiveness, the children of Israel coming into the land of Goshen. Just a beautiful story from here on out. It's a very moving one. Now, I wanted to uh, conclude by sharing something that I alluded to a couple weeks ago. Joseph is a beautiful type of Jesus Christ. By type, I mean that you can compare Joseph's life and see many similarities to the life of Christ. And he forms a beautiful picture, a prophetic foreshadow of the life of Jesus Christ. Scholars have counted a hundred to a hundred and fifty ways that Joseph and Jesus are alike. I'm only going to read twenty of you. Probably read more as we go, but I wanted to write these things down and share with you. Number one, Joseph was sent to his brethren. The Lord Jesus Christ was sent to his brethren, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Two, Joseph was hated by his brethren without a cause. And this is what the Lord Jesus said about himself. They hated me without a cause. Joseph was sold by his own brothers. The Lord Jesus was sold by one of his own brethren. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. The brothers plotted to kill Joseph. The brethren plotted to kill the Lord Jesus. He came unto his own and his own received him not. Number six, Joseph was put into the pit, which was meant to be a place of death for him. The Lord Jesus was crucified. Joseph was raised out of that pit. The Lord Jesus was raised from the dead the third day. Joseph obeyed his father. The Lord Jesus obeyed his father so that he could say he always did the things which the father was pleased with. Joseph's father had sent him to seek his brethren. We are told that the Lord Jesus came to do the will of the father when he came to seek his brethren. His brethren. Number 10, Joseph was mocked by his brothers. When they saw him coming, they said, Behold, this dreamer comes. Jesus was mocked by his brethren. When he was on the cross, they said, If he's the Christ, let him come down from the cross. The brothers refused to give Joseph, and the brothers refused to receive Joseph, and the brothers of the Lord Jesus, the Jews, refused to receive him. 12, they took counsel to kill Joseph, and we are told they took counsel to plot the death of Jesus. Joseph's coat, dripping with blood, was returned to his father. They took the coat of the Lord Jesus and gambled for it. Fourteen, Jesus was sold into Egypt. Joseph was sold into Egypt. He was lost sight of for many years. Jesus ascended up into heaven. He told his disciples that they would see him no more until his return. Joseph was tempted by the world, the flesh, the devil, and he resisted. The Lord Jesus was tempted by the world, the flesh, and the devil, and he won the victory. 16. Joseph became the savior of the world during this period in a physical sense. He saved them from starvation. The Lord Jesus, in every sense, is the savior of the whole world. 17. Joseph was hated by his brothers, and they delivered him to the Gentiles. He couldn't defend himself, and he was unjustly accused. Jesus was also delivered by his own to the religious rulers, who in turn delivered him to the Gentiles. He was innocent. 18. Pilate did not believe the accusation which was brought against Jesus. He found him innocent, scourged him. And Joseph had to suffer, although Potiphar knew that he was innocent. Potiphar had to keep up a front before Pharaoh, as Pilate had to keep up a front before Caesar. 19. Joseph found favor in the eyes of the jailer. And in the case of Jesus, the Roman centurion said of him, Truly this was the Son of God. And 20. Joseph was numbered with the transgressors. He was a blessing to the butler, and he was judgment for the baker. The Lord Jesus was crucified between two thieves. One was judged, and the other was blessed. Interesting, isn't it? Now take that last one. Jesus hung on a cross. He became life for one and death for the other. One mocked, the other believed. Two men equally close to Jesus on the cross... Both close to eternal life. One was saved, the other eternally lost. All of you tonight are equally close to Jesus. It's one call. It's one sound, Lord Jesus, save me. Will some of you walk away tonight saved, and some of you walk away lost? Will some of you mock, like the thief on the cross, who said, if you're the Christ, then save yourself and us too? Or will you say, Lord, remember me as you come into your kingdom? Equally close to salvation. Some saved and some not. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. And Joseph speaks tonight of the love, and the forgiveness that Jesus Christ has for each one of us. Or tonight in this auditorium, there are those who know you And it would cry out and say, remember me, Lord, as you come into your kingdom. And there are some, perhaps, who would mock. Father, we pray that you'd rescue the souls of those who have entered this building, who as of yet do not have a personal relationship with the only Savior of the world, your Son, Jesus. We pray, Father, that they might cling to you tonight and cry out to you for mercy. 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 Mercy, mercy.